Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday night, and it is time for a super-duper extra special episode of Friends in Fiction. Let's get rolling, because tonight we get to celebrate the launch of Patty's new novel, The Secret Book of Flora Lee, and we are overflowing with excitement. And since we are bringing you another installment of Friends in Fiction Theater, yay! Yay! (laughs) Jazz hands! Woohoo! We are all hands on deck tonight with Meg and Ron joining us. I am Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Meg Walker. And I'm Ron Block. And this is Friends in Fiction for New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight is all about Patty and her gorgeous new novel that we hope you already have on your nightstands and bookshelves. And if you don't, if we haven't talked you into it yet, we're about to change all that. (laughs) Of course, you know that we're here to bring you incredible authors, hot reads, and fascinating interviews, all while supporting independent booksellers. One One way you can help us support indies is to buy from them when and where you can, or to visit our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page where you can find books by the four of us, especially Patty and all of our guests at a discount. And speaking of amazing books, don't forget to join the Friends and Fiction Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa on their Facebook page. Right now they're reading um, Coronation Year and they will be welcoming author Jennifer Robson to discuss the book on May 15th live at 7 p.m. And also speaking of books, our books, this is the year that all four of us have new novels being released. So Patty's, as you know, and as we're about to celebrate, just came out this week. It just came out yesterday. So here I am to remind you about our Friends and Fiction First subscription box from independent bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. If you order now from Booktown, you will get signed first editions of all four of our new 2023 books, plus an exclusive tea towel that says dinner could wait it's time for friends and fiction find out more at booktown.com <laughs> and you have been listening to our writer's block podcast haven't you the one hosted by me the one <laughs> drops every <laughs> by me by me i should have said like um that i'm a part of that's what i meant it drops oh, every friday we'll always post a link to the newest episode on the friends and fiction facebook and instagram on our most recent episode out now our 101st episode we've succeeded 100 <sighs> episodes isn't that crazy believe it. Wow. it's wonderful um it's who is it that we talked to? Oh, it was Megan May. We talked to Andrea Dunlop about her latest novel, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, and Julie Gerstenblatt about her novel, Daughters of Nantucket, 
And coming this Friday, Patty and I had the honor of speaking with Mary Beth Keene about her latest, The Half Moon. So listen, review, subscribe, and share with a friend if you like what you hear. Okay, so on to the main event. You all know our amazing co-founder and co-host, New York Times bestselling author, Patty Callahan Henry. So we're not going to spend a ton of time introducing her here, but I did want to remind you, um, or maybe tell you for the first time, if you're on the fence about purchasing The Secret Book of Floralia, it has got accolades. Oh my goodness, so, <laughs> so many. Um, not only was it the National Book Club pick for the Barnes for the Barnes & Noble Book Club for the month of May with a special exclusive edition with bonus content available only through Barnes & Noble. It's also an Amazon Editor's pick, an Indie Next pick, the Books A Million Summer Says pick, a Library Reads pick, a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club pick. Um, it had a starred Kirkus review. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But basically, don't just take our word for it. Everybody's telling you to read this book. So read this book. Okay. All signs point to go. Yeah, <laughs> you should be reading the secret book of Flora Lee. So let's dive in. Oh, wow. It has been a wild ride for sure. I mean, let's think back, ladies. I was with y'all in February of last year when I decided um, that Atria would be publishing it and we celebrated together. And that yeah. feels like yesterday. Ooh. And it was 15 months ago. So y'all have been... and and gentlemen, have been on this journey with me for a long while. Um, and in the case of Mary Kay, which we'll talk about later, she was there from the tippy-tippy start and actually named Whisperwood. So I'm honored by all the picks, but mostly I am so excited to be here to celebrate with our reading community. This is where I feel the most at home, and I can't wait to introduce you to the story. So you've been to Friends and Fiction Theater before, and if you haven't, just, you know, you're along for the ride. <laughs> so, so without further ado, yeah, right, just buckle up. Without further ado, we are all here, Meg, Ron, Mary Kay, Kristen, and Christy, to introduce the secret book of Flora Lee. Are y'all ready? Ready. Yeah. Yes. Ready. All ready. right. The year is 1939. And we are in Bloomsbury, England, right outside London. We're in a lovely neighborhood of tall, grand flats on Mecklenburg Square. The Linden family lives across from the park. There is a mom and her two daughters, Hazel, who is 14 years old, and Flora Lee, who is five years old. Operation Pied Piper is now in effect. All children must be sent away from the large cities to be kept from the incoming and expected German bombs. The cry goes out on the wireless and on posters hung all around the city. All good parents must send their children away. Hello, I'm Mrs. Linden, <laughs> Hazel and Flora Lee's mom. Now tell me, what would you do? I've been commanded to send my little girls away so they're safe from possible bombings. I will put them on a train without knowing their destination or who they will live with. But this is my duty to God and country. This is what must be done. Their knapsacks are packed with their ration card, gas mask, and a name tag. Each day they leave for school, I wonder, is it today they will send my children away? 
how can I compete with that accent? It's I, it's I know it's Irish. Mine's just going to be a mishmash of everything. But okay, I am Hazel Linden. I'm 14 years old. I know the evacuation is coming. We all do, and we're scared. See, terrible. In the back garden of our house in Bloomsbury, my little five-year-old sister, Flora Lee, asks me to tell her another story while we wait for mum to come home from work. This time, I know it must be a story that will last. I know it must be a story that takes us out of this world and into another. And while watching the light shimmer in the backyard, I swear I spy another world right here in this world, an unseen land where I can take Flora Lee wherever I want. I begin. Not very long ago and not very far away, there once was and still is an invisible place right here with us. And if you are born knowing, you will find your way through the woodlands to the shimmering doors that lead to the land made just and exactly for you. I'm Flora Lee and I'm five years old and this is Barry. We go everywhere together, even to our land that Hazel calls Whisperwood. This is our secret place and there is a river of stars. We can be anything we please, an owl, a lion, a bird. There is a queen and we will one day find her in her castle. This place is ours alone and it is magical. On September 9th, 1939, Operation Pied Piper is put into action. Over four days, over 800,000 children head to unknown destinations with luggage tags around their necks, knapsacks over their shoulders, and a gas mask. The younger children carry Mickey Mouse gas masks. These children have no idea where they will be sent or when they will be able to return home again. I make it to the train station in time to say goodbye to my girls. I can barely remember the day of September 9th. My two little girls climb onto the train with thousands of other children, and I don't know where they might end up until I eventually receive a postcard that tells me of their whereabouts. Can you imagine saying goodbye to your children this way? Operation Pied Piper. Does the government know the German legend of the Pied Piper? It is a German legend of all things, a story of a piper who lures children from their village to never be seen again. It's a terrible name for something meant to keep children safe. Well, the train ride isn't so bad. We are surrounded by other children, and we believe our mum who told us we will be together soon. The ride is long enough that together, Flora Lee and I travel to Whisperwood. Hazel's voice takes Flora Lee through Whisperwood's forest, past a talking hawk, over a bridge made of glass, under a canopy of trees that sing songs, into the river of stars. An owl flies behind the sisters, keeping watch over them, and off, far off, is the tip top of a castle that rises above the tree line. Ooh, tree. Ooh. <laughs> the train. I really nailed train, and then you interrupted. Me. There you go. Try it again. <laughs> the 
crane finally stops in Oxford, England. With all the other children, we climb out of the train and then walk down the high street to the town center where a family will choose us to take home. Hello, I'm Harry Aberdeen and I'm 15 <laughs> years old. I first <laughs> spy, spy the two sisters in the parade of children walking down the high street of Oxford. They look so lost and terrified. All the children look the same, to be honest. I can't quite imagine being sent away from my mom and my stone cottage and the hamlet where I live in Bernsey. I am Bridget Aberdeen, but they call me Bridie. I'm Harry's mom. My boy Harry is one of a kind, tender-hearted boy. He noticed the sisters in the crowd of children, but I was too preoccupied buying some meat and eggs from the market with our ration cards. That is, until I entered the town hall to fulfill my duty and choose a child to billet. We make it to the town centre with everyone else. Flora and I sit on a cold, hard bench as adults enter the building one by one and utter the phrase, I choose this one. But no one is choosing us. Evening is drawing close and we're hungry. I ask Hazel to take us to Whisperwood, away from this horrid building with the crying children. But she says no, not here, not now. And that's when I see them, the two sisters, huddled together on a bench. But I have only one bedroom in my cottage, and I need a boy to help on our land. Harry's dad left long before Harry was born. It has always been just the two of us. But I talk mom into choosing Hazel and Flora Lee. There's something wonderful and enchanting about these sisters. And as soon as the little one looks up at me and says, I'm Flora Lee, I know what I must do. I must take these sisters home and protect them. Meanwhile, at home in London, I have no idea where my girls are or what they're doing or even if they're safe. Did they head north or south, east or west? Were they at the seaside or in the country? Were they chosen by a kind family or a cruel one? I am sick with worry. Harry and Mrs. Aberdeen bring us to a stone cottage in Binsey, and we feel as if we've fallen into a storybook. It is a quaint hamlet outside Oxford on the River Thames, and the house is nestled in a field of hay and heather. Binsey is a hamlet in the Oxfordshire countryside. It is a storied place where Lewis Carroll wrote much of Alice in Wonderland, where there is a mythological healing well of the patron saint of Oxford, where the famous poet Gerard Manley Hopkins penned some of his poems, and where C.S. Lewis sat with some of his inklings at a pub called The Perch. It is here that Hazel and I share a bedroom and one bed. The first morning in our new home, Harry slips a sketch under our door. Then every morning after that, like magic, other sketches appear. He draws the things of our days, from the cow to the sheep to the river, and even us. He even draws us. Hazel saves them all. Flora Lee and I escape to Whisperwood whenever we can. I take her into the woodlands around the cottage, or we sit on the banks of the River Thames, or inside a riven tree. We never tell anyone about our secret land, not even Harry who is our very best friend. A year passes. The war rages in England, yet Binsey is protected. The sisters worry for their mom and their friends, and yet they're happy living there in the imaginative creativity of Bridie and Harry Aberdeen. They are building their own world. 
I just love these whimsical and adorable sisters. We make bonfires, we explore the woodlands, and we tell stories. I teach them at home, and our year is, contrary to the world outside, a beautiful one. Mum is right. It's a beautiful one until the afternoon of September 9th, 1940, when Churchill declares war on Germany. It's the same day I try to tease Hazel into telling me about the secret story she's always telling with Flora Lee. It is the day I make the worst mistake of my life. I let Harry upset me and I take my eyes off my sister and run to our ribbon tree without her. My last words to Hazel had been, watch out for each other. And for a minute, I didn't watch out. I left Flora Lee asleep on a blanket at the river's edge. On a red blanket by the river, six-year-old Flora Lee awakens alone. A dome of blue sky above her and birdsong wild about her. She walks to the river's edge and as her teddy bear slips from her hand, and into the river, she reaches for him and says, it's okay, we are always safe in Whisperwood. I run after Hazel and when we return to the river, Flora Lee is gone. Disappeared. Vanished, we searched everywhere. The police and the town join us, but Flora is gone. As quickly as a woman can, I make my way to Binzi to help find my daughter. We search for months. The airwaves and newspaper headlines are dominated by war. What was one more missing girl? Everything to me and to Hazel. Everything. My sister was never found. And I know that it is my fault that she's lost. We ran off to find Whisperwood. I am sure of it. And I am to blame for the loss of the only person I was meant to watch out for. The little sister I loved with all my heart. The year is now 1960. 20 years have passed. The war is long over and London is recovering. The hems of the skirts are rising, the music is changing, and a youth-driven revolution is on the way. But in an antiquarian bookshop called Hogan's Rare Books, we find 35-year-old Hazel Linden at work. It's my last day working at Hogan's Rare Bookshop in London. I have a new and quite prestigious job at Sotheby's. I have a darling boyfriend, a wonderful flat in my old family home, and my life is finally moving forward. But I have never put down my guilt. I carry it everywhere I go. I no longer make up stories, even as I work among them. As for me, I never saw Hazel or Flora Lee again. My heart was shattered. I think about them so often, believing that they will one day return to me. I never spoke to Hazel or Flora Lee again. My mum believes that one day we will see them again, but I know that the last time I saw Hazel was the last time I will ever see her. They are both gone from me, and if that year had been a dream. Hazel never spoke of Whisperwood again. She has never told a soul about the secret land and the river of stars. And she has almost, almost forgotten what she learned while living with Bridie. That stories return when they're needed the most. That stories find their way to the souls that call to them. 
And so it is that one spring afternoon in March of 1960, I stand in the back room of the bookshop when a package arrives. It is tied in parchment paper with a red ribbon. I unwrap it to find an illustrated book of fairy tales. I see the title on the cover, and for the first time in 20 years, in astonishment, I say the name aloud. Whisperwood and the River of Stars. Let's do it again. That was fun. That was so fun. Oh my gosh. Y'all what a class. Accents. Oh, they were Yawn. terrible. Christian, <laughs> Kathy, you guys, that's really good. No, I, I had an Irish accent, so I guess um, yeah, I mom is Irish. And yeah. I don't oh my gosh, Kristen, your accent was as if you've been practicing yes. like your whole life oh my god no i fumbled every single r in there but thank you <laughs> it was awesome it was oh you guys i i've been alone like, um, with this it was like london by way of brooklyn <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go london by way of brooklyn that's going to be your new hashtag but i i have been alone with this story for so long and to hear y'all read through it that way I had chills all the way down my arms. I had the goofiest grin on my face, even in the sad parts. That was awesome. That was well, awesome. Well, it was great. And another successful-ish production of Theater. <laughs> officially drawn to a close. And now it's time to get into the nitty gritty of this gorgeous book that none of us could put down. Sure. So Patty, you know, we talk on the show all the time about what a book is about and what a book is really about. So now that our audience knows a little bit about what the book is about, we're going to turn the tables on you. What do you mm. think the secret book of Flora Lee is really about? And when did you realize what it's really about? Oh, good one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do know because I talk to y'all all the time, but sometimes themes are right up front. Like we go in knowing this book is a lot about friendship or love or um, survival or light in the dark. But I, the one thing I did know this was really about was um, the power of story. So I went in knowing that a story would return to help solve a long, you know, long unknown mystery. I knew that a fairy tale would help solve something. But what I didn't know that it was really about was not just the power of story, but how stories, like I said in the script, is how stories return to us or find us when we need that them the most. I know all of you have had the experience of picking up a book at the exact right moment and being uh, not not even knowing you were looking for it. And I knew that that, that theme rose up, the theme about um, carrying guilt that is unnecessary and how it keeps you from doing the things in your life that you really want to do. Um, the theme of believing with hope in things that are unseen. And I know we often talk about whether there's a through line to all of our stories. And I think in this one, as in many of my others, I'm always struggling with that line between the seen and the unseen the logic versus the imagination, believing in something you can't see. And for me, the fairy tale almost stood in the steed of 
magical things we can't see. And yet somehow it was working its own magic in the background and bringing a solution to this mystery. And so that's why I loved having it where it was set because there were already mystical elements in Binzi. And as those all started to bubble up, once again, I found myself visiting that question of what matters more, the seen or unseen, where is the liminal line between imagination and logic? So I think it ended up being about a lot of things. But what I hope for is that it's about whatever touches you the most, right? Like, I'd want to know what you think it's really about more than what I think it's really about. So, Well, and I feel like I feel like that's what the best story can do. It's it's what you need it to be it, at, right. at that time. It's what you feel and what you take away from the story. That's, that's such that's a good true. point. Mm-hmm. You know, Patty, as you know, it, I think this is something that you in particular really love to ask. We love talking to our guest authors about their origin story. Where did the story come from? So I'd like to turn that question around and ask you, where do you think the secret book of Flora Lee came from for you? So I did this whole series on my Instagram over the past 14 weeks until publication. And hello, it's publication. (laughs) And hello, the book is out in the world. Here we are. And 14 weeks sounded like a million years. But I am incessantly fascinated with this question of where do stories come from? And um, like you said, it's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show. But it's also something I give a lot of thought to, especially when I'm stuck. Right. Where did all those other stories come from? So I can tell you where the you sometimes you can and sometimes you can't say where the first seed came from. But I can tell you that the first seed of Flora Lee came when I was doing some research for Once Upon a Wardrobe. And if you haven't read that book, it's um, about the seven events in Lewis's life that you can see in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And One of those events is the very real historical fact that children were sent away from the country, um, from the cities to live in the country. And we all know that story. I mean, that's where Peter, Susan and Edmund and Lucy came from. And we know that children were sent away from the cities. What I didn't know was what it was called. And when I realized it was called Operation Pied Piper, of course, what piqued my curiosity was, um, you know, I'm a geek about legends and myths. And I thought to myself, the legend of the Pied Piper is not a good story, (laughs) right? So I went and I looked it up. You can see it up there. I have the original on the top shelf right there. And I went and got the original and read it. And sure enough, now, first of all, the legend is German. Why they named it after, okay, it's World War II. Why they named it after a German legend, I don't know. The second thing is it is about a piper who plays a flute and lures children away from the city and into the country. And here's the clincher. They are never seen again. They disappear. And in the original version, because we all know how fairy tales are cleaned up for Disney or shows or TV or even poems. um, In the original version, they are let off to drown in a river, the River Wyvern in Germany. And I, I just sat with that for a little while, which I think all of us do when a story story starts to bubble. Right. Like you just 
Don't you, do, do you immediately dive in when an idea comes or do you kind of let it no. sit in the back? Let it sit, marinate a little bit. Yeah. 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 Until it's like, I can't not write it. I can't yeah. Yes. It. <laughs> or until it combines with something else, right? Yep. Yep. It takes shape. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Or it combines with another. So the second idea was, so I let that sit. And then, then I knew I I thought about how legends and myths affect us. And I had the idea about two sisters, one who supposedly drowns in a river, just like in the legend of the Pied Piper. And then I combined it with that fairy tale. And that is all I knew when I started. I had those two seeds and then all the other things I love kind of grew into it. Antiquarian bookshops, Sister stories, first love, the woodlands, telling stories. And I took those original two seeds, a fairy tale and the legend of the Pied Piper, and just wound them together until this story, very sloppily at first, and then slowly turned into this book. Beautiful. Um, very beautifully it did. I mean, this yes. book yeah. is so phenomenal. It just, um, it feels like a, big warm hug and it's just such a beautiful story Aww. so beautifully told it really is um yep. so patty i know you did some really intense research for this book um and we all watched your trip to england um the 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 folks of us here on the screen got to follow it along a little closer as you texted us from the road but um, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um uh, your readers got to follow your journey um along on instagram which was great and i know you've made up a gorgeous travel journal of it all and if um, everyone should be sure to check that out on Patty's website. But um, Patty, can you tell us about some of the amazing synchronicities between your very real world and your travels and your story world? It was so stunning because I wrote most of this book during COVID, as we all did. Any of our books that are coming out around now, you know, a lot of them were written when we were still either on lockdown or semi-lockdown. And so I could not go to England. Even if we were coming out of lockdown, nobody was traveling. So I did a lot of my research by, I wrote about a place I already knew, Oxfordshire and Oxford and London, because I'd written about those places before, I'd researched them, I'd been to them. So I knew that I could, I knew that I could tap into those memories and those photos and use some of that, but I knew I would have to go there. So when the book was finished and the world opened up again last summer, I went to Binzi because it is a very real place. And I went to Oxford and I went to Oxfordshire and I went to Mecklenburg Square where the girls lived. I saw the townhome where they lived because they're very real to me. And these are very real places. And so in the photo journal, you'll see Mecklenburg Square. You'll see the park. You'll see their home but some really amazing synchronicities happened when I was there. So the first one is this. So I went to Binzi and I hired a, you know, a professional tour guide because I'd never been. And I wanted to walk from Oxford to Binzi because you can walk from there through this little town called Jericho and over this bridge to this quaint little hamlet called Binzi. But I wanted someone to show me and tell me the history along the way. Her name was Tabby and she was amazing. And so we get to the little town and I was so overcome with how I felt like I had already been there. I just wow. couldn't believe this Hamlet was exactly the way I imagined it. 
There is one pub and one church, as one should have in a hamlet, (laughs) stone cottages, lots of pasture, and right through the middle of it runs the River Thames with ducks and geese. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was exactly what I imagined and, and had seen in photos, of course. So she's, we were walking down this long path that would have been, um, dirt when Hazel and Flora Lee were there, but it's now paved. But it is this long path path that goes back to the medieval church and the triacle and magical well that is at the very end of Binzi. And she was pointing up to the woodlands around Binzi. And I was marveling that they were exactly how I described them and that that's where they thought Flora Lee disappeared or drowned in the river. And she started to tell me this story about the family who owned all the woodlands above Binzi. And their last name was Wickwood, Wickerwood, something like that. And I I was like, what? Can you say that again? And she said it again and I said, that's crazy. And she said, it's this amazing family. And when they retired, they left it all to their daughter, Hazel. (gasps) <gasps> oh my goodness, I remember wow. that. They still gasped. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> I know, I knew it. <laughs> so crazy. And I stopped in the middle of the road and I was like, what? And I told her that that was the name of my character. And she was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, no, swear, I can pull it up. That is the name of my character. And it's Whisperwood, not Whitwoods or whatever it was called. And she said, oh, well, that's just how stories are. And I was like, oh. no kidding. So I thought, well, that was my one big, like, because, you know, all of you, and I'm going to flip this around in a second. All of you have had a moment where something happens and you're like, yes, I was supposed to write this story. And so that was the first. And then the second was I went to um, the Antiquarian Bookshop. And once again, I had hired someone to let me, to connect me with an antiquarian bookshop owner because I wanted to interview him about how things were run. I wanted to see a store. And so I went to Cecil Square, which is this little one skinny street in London. And on both sides, Kristen, have you been there? You're nodding. Both sides. Have you been to Cecil Square? No, no, I I haven't, but I can just envision it completely. Cecil Street. And there's a, there's a, a, um, gas lantern right in the middle of it like it's narnia and all the way down it's either antiquarian maps or books every single store <laughs> is antiques and i went to this bookstore called briars and briars i didn't know who i was going to meet with i was still with tabby and she took me and we walked in the front door and she said i'm you know from such and such tour company and we're we're meant to meet with the owner and i held that and this man walked up and i said hi and i held up my hand oh let me back up So in the secret book of Flora Lee, Hazel works at an antiquarian bookshop called Hogan's named after Kathy Hogan Trocek. And she works at Hogan's bookshop (laughs) and she, um, the, her boss is named Tim and Tim is a very integral part of the story. So I hold out my hand to meet the bookseller and I say, hi, my name is Patty. And he says, hi, my name is Tim. Easy. And my yep. youngest brother is named Tim, by the way, Tim Hogan. I always forget that. That's right. So that was just, it's one of my favorite names, Timothy. Um, and I just couldn't, I, I just, I was gobsmacked. And I, um, I thought, well, that's my second clue that I wrote the story I was meant to write. And so I'll tell you one more story. 
we were, Pat and I, then Pat came over to meet me because we were going to Cornwall, which part of the book takes place in Cornwall. So I wanted to go down there. And we got to Cornwall and I wanted to, apropos not of my book, just for fun to to visit this. Um, And Mary Kay, I thought about you because we always love Kate Morton books with lost gardens. And there is this garden in Cornwall that was lost and they shut it up during World War One, and it was forgotten until somebody bought the property and unlocked a gate and literally found this acres and acres of stunning gardens. And they have been, all been refurbished and they're magical. But when you walk in, and this is in my journal too, you can see the picture. Um, the first big sign you see <coughs> is Flora's Garden. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. So that's just some of the things that happened. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just feel like, I mean, just real quick, have you guys had that feeling when you've, like you're in the middle of a book and something happens, Mary Kay? Oh, yeah. Many times. I, um, I was writing a book, my last Callahan Garrity mystery or second, second to last actually. And I had, um, my character going to um, what we in Atlanta call a hobo jungle um, beside a, an, an, an abandoned um, amusement park. And there is, there is an abandoned amusement park right off. I think it's I-20 in Atlanta. And so um, my, I have a friend who was a now retired Atlanta cop. He was still a cop at the time. He was the head of the Atlanta homicide division. And um, I was telling him I was going to go out there. And he said, well, you can't go without me. And I said, why not? And he said, well, there's a hobo jungle out there. And I'm like, huh, I invented a hobo jungle. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And we went out there and yeah, there was a hobo jungle and they were, um, there was a car hooked up to um, the battery. The car was hooked up and they had a, and it was hooked up to a big tank of something. And my friend said, uh, Mick said, oh, my God, they're making moonshine out here and they'll kill us. These homeless people will kill us if they think we've stumbled onto their still. Actually, they were heating up water to take baths. Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. And I've had so many things like that happen. How about you, Kristen? You know, I think I'm a I'm as much as I'm a believer that like sometimes when you're writing something, it manifests in your life. For me, the bigger moments are are the ones where like someone says a line and like it's something that you've heard before, you know, like those moments where you're like, Mm -hmm. I've been here before, like this is familiar to me. And so like this has to be the right path. And so um, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that happens a lot in connection with my books. Like there'll be a moment I'm out on the road researching it and someone will say something or there'll be a, you know, something that I look out on. And it's like, you just have that sudden moment of deja vu where it's happened before. But, Mm. you know, two things I was thinking when Kathy was talking, one, I still think that the Callahan Garrity books manifested Patty Callahan, Henry being, I mean, I know you knew each other vaguely or or maybe you had. No, we didn't know each other at all. I I guess you hadn't, of course. No. Um, But who would have thought back then that one of the closest people in your life would have the name yeah, Callahan Callahan. right now. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I just think we kind of write ourselves into these 
things that, that become who we are, right? And then the other thing I have to mention is, you know how before we came on tonight, we were talking about strange dreams we'd had. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only one who did, <laughs> uh, not the only one, but I did not mention my strange dream last night, but it was about an abandoned amusement park. Isn't that weird? Whoa. Oh. And like you just told that story. It was a, a, a weird abandoned amusement park in Israel, which mm. I have no idea why I was dreaming of that, but <laughs> it was my dream last night. So there you go. Another right, right in front of us, another moment. Yeah. We're so, weird. We're so weird. <laughs> How about you, Christy? Has there been a moment where something happened from your book that you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could think of a lot of them, but but one of the bigger ones um, was I was talking to a friend. I was I had these two story ideas that I was kind of thinking about when I was writing Under the Southern Sky or getting ready to write Under the Southern Sky, which is. Um, well, I won't tell you what it's about. Oh, this You'll know what it's about when I say this. But um, And she was like, oh, I really love both of those. And um, she called me like two days later and she was um, in PA school and she had was delivering her first baby and she was really excited about it. And she called me and was like, um, I don't know if you've decided what book you're going to write, but if you haven't decided, I've decided for you because this baby that I just delivered was via surrogate. Um, and it was from an embryo of a woman who died five years ago and her husband just could not move forward and decided that he was going to have their baby. And that's, um, you know, somewhat along the lines of the plot of under the Southern sky. And I was like, Whoa, that's weird. Okay. It's definitely, I'm definitely going to write that book, but it is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like what you said, Kristen, I don't know if it's like the chicken or the egg, like, yeah, you know, yeah. are you requesting the story or is your well, life maybe? because you're writing like I don't yeah. know what it is but it's bizarre um and when you were talking about being on the road I wouldn't say what it is because I'm probably gonna write this book but there's this book that in my like deep back of my mind I've been thinking about writing and I sat down at lunch at a luncheon the other day and this woman turns to me and goes have you ever thought about writing a book about like this person and I was like yes <laughs> but it's just so weird it's so weird what happens that but, is weird oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, well, Patty, you know how much I love this book. Um, I was reading it on my trip to St. Lucia, which is the perfect place to be reading it. And when I got to the plot twist, I literally gasped out loud. Um, so I feel like I know you really well. Normally I'm just a really like casual reader. Like I just read a book and I go along. But because I know you really well, I was like, I'm going to, I know what she's done here. Right. Like I know what she's going to do here. Like I was trying to figure it out and I had like several different things that I was like, maybe it's this and maybe it's this. And I totally did not guess um, the plot twist. So um, I didn't see it coming. Which brings me to how much of this book did you plot and how much of it came as a surprise? I know you had a great surprise in the twist when you were writing for Lee. So tell us about that, but no spoilers, Patty. No spoilers. (laughs) So obviously, Flora Lee disappears and this fairy tale exists. And um, you all know, we talk about it all the time. I I plot some, but not a ton. I have an architecture, but inside that architecture, I do a lot of gardening. And I didn't know the ending, but I had an idea of the ending and I wrote it. And I showed it to my agent and she read it and she loved it. I showed it to um, an editor I was working with and they loved it. She showed it to some of the agents within her agency and they loved it. And they, I kept saying, I don't know if I'm satisfied with the ending. And they kept saying, no, it really works. So that was in December, two years ago. And I got COVID and I was laid up all of January um, of not this past year, but the year before. And I ended up binge watching um, 
Oh, what was the Kate uh, mayor of East town? I binge, oh, did yeah, it all yeah, yeah. of you see that? Yeah. I binge watched yeah, mayor of East town and in like one sitting almost. And the ending is so gasp worthy mm -hmm. and the twist is so big. And yet I was like, I should have seen it. Mm -hmm. And so when I was done, I said, I want an ending like that. Not, I mean, it's, I don't have a murder, so it's not, it, it, you know, nobody's getting hauled off in cuffs, but I, oh, maybe they are, but <laughs> I couldn't, I could, I wanted something that, that you didn't see coming, but you would have, but if you look back, you could yeah. see it. And I sat with it for weeks. I did. I sat with it for a couple of weeks and I was taking a walk one day doing the thing where I made myself not listen to a podcast, not talk on the phone and just walk. And I knew that it was already inside the story mm -hmm. that it had been waiting for me. And, um, I'd been patient enough for it. And I ran back. I didn't have to rewrite hardly anything in the novel except the end. Wow. 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 That's amazing. That's where the mystery part of it comes in. Well, not only that, but like to trust your gut, because I bet five years ago, if all those people would have said they were very happy with the ending, I would have been, and it, it would still be like, I'd still be happy with the book, but something was tingling at me that I just, it wasn't done yet. And so yeah. that's where that's it came from. Yeah. That got me too. Um, so one of the things I love about the book is um, it reminds me of the power of story. And anybody who mm -hmm. reads is going to just think about their, you know, their background and, and this um, storytelling. And um, I'm curious why Hazel, as an adult, works in a bookstore, collects notebooks, antique pens, reads voraciously, and hangs out in uh, writer shop, writer's coffee shops. Um, but yet she stopped telling stories. She is yeah. so good at it. She stopped. Can you talk to us about that choice? And um, and why did you put Hazel near all those things? And yet she won't even touch them. So I'm, I'm a little fascinated with, um, and I, I read it in the artist's way years ago. And it's this term that's called a shadow artist, which is, in artist way, she talks about if you if you're always near something but you won't do it, look at whether that's something you want to do, mm -hmm. right? So you, if if you're you know hoarding cross stitch, if you whatever it is, and but you're scared to do it, like you're very involved with theater but you've never tried to write your own or act or a shadow artist is what she calls it, and I really loved that. Because I was doing that when I first started writing. I would read about writing. I would go to book signings. I would piddle with it. But I was too scared to do it. And I wanted Hazel to not have given up on story, but have given up on telling her story. Mm. So she would be near all of those things, but she wouldn't be actually doing the thing that mattered the most to her. Yeah. And so that's why I put her in an antiquarian bookshop. Yes. And that's why I have her collecting all these notebooks. They're all empty um, until there comes a moment. Um, she meets her um, boyfriend at a, at a auction where she's trying to buy an antique pen of Virginia Woolf's. So she's always near these things and yet she won't 
do it until something happens. Mm-hmm. Something happens. Mm. Something mm-hmm. happens. Well, we know that <laughs> <laughs> we know Hazel sets off on a quest to discover why this American author has her story of Whisperwood. Not because she feels propriety over the story, but because she wants to know if this means that her sister is somehow still alive. Hazel is willing to ruin things in her life to find the answer. And I know we talk about know what your character wants. Did you always know what Hazel wanted and how desperate she would be to find the answer? I did. I knew that I knew that she would come into this story um, carrying a load of guilt, not doing the things that meant the most to her because she felt guilty. And that if she found even a hint of what happened to her sister, she would do anything to track it down. She would hurt people. She, I mean, not, not a good thing to do. She would, um, she did something at her job that was not good. It was illegal. She did a few (laughs) things that hurt other people and might've gotten her into a load of hot water and set off on a quest because this is the thing that has been haunting her life. So I knew that she would be that desperate to find it. I just didn't, I knew she would be that desperate. I just didn't know till I started writing this story, what she would do to get the answer. Yeah. What was it like to create the story world of Whisperwood? Did it feel, I mean, we've sort of talked about that already, that it really did feel real to you. Oh, hundred percent felt real to me. And, um, the first scene I wrote is was her telling the story of Whisperwood to Floralee. Um, I sat down, I was up in the mountains with you, Mary Kay, and we were having a writing weekend. And I sat down to write that first scene by hand. And I read it to you. And I said, but I still don't have the name. I want it to be something that's a secret and it's in the woodlands. And you said Whisperwood. And from, I had already imagined the place and it was, it was, it existed already. It just didn't have its name. And it does feel very real to me. I even thought about writing a Whisperwood story and having almost a story inside a story thing going on. But I realized that honestly, the story is about Hazel and Floralee. So it would be a distraction. So you hear a lot about Whisperwood, but you don't actually, you know, get whole passages from the book that shows up in the back of the bookshop. But I could write that book and maybe someday I will. Yeah. Well, it it obviously feels real to a lot of other people too, because think about what your publisher has done. And Oh, yeah. You know, I I think your readers will get a taste of this in the coming weeks as you share images online, but they've they've hired illustrator. I mean, I know from being in meetings over this past year or so, like how real this world felt to everybody involved with the production of this book from your agency to, um, to the pub house, the marketing and PR people, your editor. And I mean, they hired an illustrator to draw some of the scenes from the characters from Whisperwood and the scenes from Whisperwood. And, and when they showed them to us, I felt like I had to hold my breath before I looked at them. Just, I was so afraid. In case they were bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like they wouldn't match your imagination. But when I looked at them, like it made you want to cry. They were so beautiful. And I thought like, oh my God, everyone's just 
everyone has imagined Patty's imagined world to life here. And um, I know awesome. when I Great. saw those illustrations, we popped one on the screen too on the screen earlier, the fox yeah. and the little girls in the woods, but there's also a stone cottage and there's also the queen. And I, I will be posting them on my social media as time goes by and it'll be on my website. But um, Meg, same thing. When they sit there, we go. I mean, yeah. it's exactly yeah. the sparkling river yeah. and the yep. they could be anything they wanted. And yeah. I just, I'm glad that it feels real to the people who read about it because it felt so real to the sisters. And when you're five years old, you believe that. You believe in that. I believed I could find Neverland or Narnia, didn't you? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we just cannot wait for everyone to get their hands on this book who hasn't read it yet. And um, we're just, we're so excited that it's finally out in the world. And before we wrap up, we do have a, a few quick messages for everyone. Yeah. So with all of all four of us having new releases, we have some amazing events coming up. We've already have two down, right? We've done Columbus. We've done Charleston. And I am now counting down the days. I'm already going through withdrawal. I miss you guys already. <laughs> um, <laughs> counting down the days to being together again. And the next time will be Huntsville, Alabama on June 6th to celebrate the launch of my new novel, The Paris Daughter. Then we'll be in Tampa, Florida on July. 20th at Oxford Exchange, one of our favorite stores for Christie's The Summer of Songbirds. Then we'll be in Beaufort, North Carolina on August 1st for a breast cancer fundraiser. And last but absolutely not least, in Darien, Connecticut on October 4th for MKA's Bright Lights, Big Christmas. We might even be throwing some additional events in there. Who knows? Stay Who tuned. Knows? You know, we're, we're, we're hearing your feedback. We know a lot of you want to come out and meet us. But, um, but right now, this is what we've got, and we're so excited. So, Patty, can you tell us where you will be on tour for The Secret Book of Flora Lee for the next few weeks? Oh, gosh. We don't have enough time for me to rattle through all the cities, but we are already Whoa. on the win. There we go. cities. <laughs> so it's already World Tour. Oh my gosh, I'm tired it's just looking at that. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, starting tomorrow on Thursday, I'll be in Greenville and then Polly's Island. And then you can go on my website or my Instagram. I will be constantly updating. And Meg is going to be with me for some of the tour. And so Yay, she is wait. going to be posting pictures and reels and um, yes, I'm up and down the West Coast. I finish at the end of May and then go back on the road again in August, but we'll talk about that later. So make sure you are signed up for our France and Fiction newsletter and for our individual newsletters so that you're the first to know about all of our tours because we have so many good things coming up. And hopefully I will get to see you as will the rest. Like I said, I'll be chronicling my tour with our Hot Mess Express conductor, <laughs> Meg Walker, for the first two weeks. So join us and you never know what will happen next. In the meantime, we want to thank you all for showing up for us week after week, especially for these special launch episodes. And we want to remind you how incredibly important first week sales are to a book's overall life and trajectory. Patty works tirelessly every single week to bring this show and our podcast to life. So if you enjoy tuning in, please consider supporting her this week. In Today, short, right now, right now, buy her book, damn it. And don't forget to leave your reviews on Amazon, Goodreads, BookBub, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever else you review books. And fun fact, 
You can review books at a site, even if you haven't bought the book from there. I think we had a lot of questions about that. So um, don't forget to tell your friends and share on your social media how much you're loving The Secret Book of Laura Lee. You cannot imagine how much of a difference it can make to an author. Um, We have all these fancy ways to spread the word about books, but the number one reason that someone buys a book is because a friend recommends it still today in 2023. So if you love the book, um, recommend it to a friend or better yet, buy them a copy. I mean, what are you <laughs> yes. best, you know? there you go. Give it's it as a gift. Nice, yeah. It's a nice thing to do. So, and if um, Mother's Day, hello. Yeah. Yes. Mother's Day is right around the corner. Perfect. I know what I'm getting my mom. Surprise mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Last reminder, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We'll be back next week with our friends, Jennifer Robson and Martha Hall Kelly as our guests on the show on Wednesday, nice. May 10th. We have such a fun episode in store for you. So we'll see you next week. And we can't wait to see all of your amazing posts and hear how much you're loving The Secret Book of Laura Lee. Yes. Bye, Thanks, y'all. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.